Welcome to the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Many parents are concerned that their child might be falling behind. Others are just looking for ways to help their children thrive, not just in the classroom, but socially and well into their future careers. Each episode, we explore the challenges facing parents in the modern world, from behavior, education, and nutrition, to device and gaming addiction. We interview a range of leaders in the area of childhood development to help you successfully navigate parenting in the digital age. Here is your host, Jamie Buttigieg. Hello, parents, and welcome to another episode of the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Today, we're talking about drugs and substance abuse, a topic that concerns and impacts many parents and families. Now, joining me today is Richard Capriola. Now, Richard has been a mental health and addictions counsellor for over two decades. He recently retired from the Meninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, where for over a decade he treated both teens and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance use disorders. Richard is also the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, which is also available on Amazon, which I hope to talk uh, about a little bit later on. Uh, Richard, first of all, thank you for joining us. Before we dive in, uh, please just share with our listeners a bit of background in your own words. What do you do and and, and what you're really passionate about? Thank you, Jamie. I really appreciate you taking the time to invite me to the program and to uh, uh, talk about this important issue, as you as you point out rightly, is is of concern to a lot of parents. you know, I started out in education, uh, worked uh, for three decades in the field of education as an administrator. And then as I transitioned away from that career, I began another uh, episode of working in mental health and substance abuse and and uh, worked with both teenagers and adults uh, who were uh, struggling with uh, a mental health disorder uh, as well as a substance abuse disorder. Uh, and then, as you noted, I I, I was at Minninger Clinic in Houston, Texas for over a decade, which is a large psychiatric hospital where I treated teenagers and adults. And and so many times, Jamie, I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's history of using a substance, you know, what they'd been using when they began, how often, and give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And and these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job they can. They miss the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I retired from Menninger, I wanted to write my book uh, uh, to give to give parents a, a background, to give them information, know what the warning signs are, know what to do, and just be better informed about this topic. Yeah, that's uh, uh, quite powerful, and, and I hope to dig into some of those warning signs and maybe a, a few strategies that uh, parents can use a little bit later on. But uh, I want to start by uh, talking about uh, alcohol and marijuana. Uh, I know certainly in Australia, um, you know, uh, big, big topics. Uh, there's prevalent use among uh, early teens and late teens here, as I'm sure the U.S. is the same. But yeah. why is it that some teens are turning to using substances like alcohol and marijuana in particular? 
Well, for every every child, it's different. Uh, there is no one thing that we can say that motivates uh, teenagers to turn to a substance like alcohol or marijuana or even vaping uh, substances like nicotine and, and marijuana. So every child's a little different. Uh, some of them uh, get exposed uh, out of curiosity. They've heard about this thing called marijuana. They just they just want to try it and see what it feels like. Um, others. Uh, submit to peer pressure the friends that they're hanging around with are using the substance so they want to join in they want to be part of the crowd they want to be accepted by their peers and if their peers are using a substance uh, that might lead them also uh, but for some kids not all but for some kids there's also an underlying psychological reason why that child is using a substance and they're using it to medicate an underlying emotional issue it might be anxiety or depression or some type of trauma, perhaps being bullied at school that the parents were unaware of. Um, so it might be any of these emotional issues. When, when I was working at Menninger Clinic, I worked with a number of teenagers that were smoking lots of marijuana. They would smoke multiple times a day. And when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, not all, but for some kids, there might be an underlying reason, an emotional reason, why that child is using a substance or alcohol to medicate that, that underlying issue, which oftentimes goes undiagnosed and, and untreated. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, so very true. I've got a few stats here that I just want to share uh, to give some context to parents who may be listening today. Um, and uh, this one relates to, the, to Australia in particular about cannabis usage. And it says cannabis was the most commonly used illicit substance with 16% of students aged between 12 and 17 years ever using cannabis and 8% using it the month before the survey. So 8% of students had used cannabis in the month leading up to this particular survey. In the US, uh, the most recent stat I could find said 12.78% of all, uh, all 12 to 17 year olds had reported using marijuana in the last year, with almost 7% of 12th graders using it daily. And uh, so they're, they're pretty, you know, frightening statistics uh, when, you, when you look at that. And uh, uh, like out of curiosity, uh, are these numbers increasing or are they declining in your experience? Well, that's an interesting question uh, because what, what we found out from the national data is that um, the pandemic had an effect of reducing teen substance abuse during that pandemic year of 2021. We saw across the board in 2021, a significant decline in teenagers using marijuana and alcohol and, and other drugs. Um, and I think a lot of that is attributable to the fact that so many of them were confined at home. Many of them were doing uh, online uh, learning. Uh, they were uh, removed from their social peers and their extra curricular activities. So we saw a significant decline in 2021 of, of teenagers using substances. Now, the, the national data will come out again early next year, about 2022, um, to see if, uh, if, if teenage uh, substance use rebounded in 2022. We know it went down in 2021. Did it stay down or did it increase? And we'll have that data here pretty shortly to be able to tell us uh, what happened uh, the year after the pandemic.
Yeah, that that'll be interesting to see. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, pitch for a high incline. Uh, that is where my my bet is landing. Um, I, I would I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've talked a bit a bit about. Uh, well, you started to touch on the pandemic, which is a lovely segue to the next question. And, and uh, I'm curious as to what drugs teens are using today um, and uh, how the pandemic changed teen substance use and mental health. Yeah, I, you know, for a long time, you know, teens have gravitated towards marijuana and alcohol. Those are the two substances that, that, that attract teenagers. And that's been true for a long, long time. That's not new. But what we did notice was that for three years prior to the pandemic, for, for, for three years before the pandemic, there was a tremendous increase in what is known as vaping, where teenagers will use a substance uh, like marijuana or nicotine. They'll put it into an instrument that turns it into a vapor and then they'll, they'll inhale it. Well, you know, the, the number of teenagers that were vaping nicotine and vaping marijuana was just skyrocketing. It was increasing significantly for three years prior to the pandemic. Uh, we'll see what happened next, you know, with, with the new data when it comes on, comes, uh, comes out. Um, while, while the pandemic reduced substance use, it had a negative, it, it, had a, it had an opposite reaction on teenage mental health. Substance abuse went down, mental health issues went up. Um, and, and we have been facing a mental health crisis for over 10 years prior to the pandemic. We knew that teenagers were, were going through a mental health crisis for a long time. The pandemic seemed to worsen it. So we saw higher, higher levels of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. E emergency room visits uh, for suspected suicide uh, increased substantially. T children, teenagers were reporting feeling anxious and angry and annoyed. Many of them felt lonely and were experiencing sleep problems. So the pandemic, unfortunately, sadly, increased what was already um, a serious situation in teenage mental health. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's significant. And um, this this rise in mental health challenges among our teens, um, in your experience, is there, is there something that we can attribute that to over the last ten years? I, I don't think there's one thing that we can point to. I think it's probably a combination of things. Uh, some of it dealing with changes that we see in society, uh, social media impact on kids. Um, expectations uh, that we're placing on kids in terms of their performance. Um, and then I think just lack of a good uh, mental health support system. Uh, I just don't think that, that, that it's adequate to address the needs of, of these teenagers. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work left to be done in the mental health area for, uh, for adults as well as teenagers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things I was talking about with a parent recently was about uh, an anxious child uh, and uh, and bullying and uh, yeah. you know one of the differences we spoke about uh, you know when I was at school or when you were at school when we were when we encountered the school bully we passed them in the hallway maybe once or twice a day and uh, we could generally avoid that bully most of the time when we went home we weren't exposed to that bully or that that uh, you know increasing sense of anxiety or pressure um, or you know or threatened mm -hmm. violence and uh, you know, these days, you know, with of course with the advent of social media and technology, the bullies follow them around constantly, and and they're always present. And and I think that has 
um, certainly is one of the factors that are contributing to this increase in anxiety and stress levels in, in uh, teens. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the warning signs, so some of the practical aspects for parents. Uh, if they, you know, for those who just want to be prepared, or those that may be concerned, or, or, or you know, that something might be going on with their child currently, you know, what are the signs that parents should look for? What, 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 what should they? What should parents know? Well, in my book, this is such an important issue that in my book I list warning signs for a child that might be using alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be smoking marijuana. And and I also put in warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or self-injuring because those can sometimes accompany a child using a substance like alcohol or marijuana. Uh, and those are all in my book. But but as a general rule, what I what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to the changes that you see. Don't assume that they're just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be that, but they might also be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you need to uh, be aware of. Um, so some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline. Uh, a child who um, used to enjoy participating in sports and extracurricular activities no longer shows a desire or an interest to, to participate in those activities. Um, a child who used to openly, um, you know, tell you who their friends were. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who some of their parents were. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are and very secretive about, you know, where they've been and what they've been doing. A child that uh, just shuts down on you, uh, you know, maybe was very talkative before, now becomes very quiet and isolating and, and staying uh, away from you and the family. Those are all warning signs that I think as parents, um, if they come and go fairly quickly, they're probably not too concerning. But if they tend to linger on and then you begin to see more and more of these warning signs, then I think it might be time for you to get some professional advice, get some assessments done, um, and, and rule in or rule out uh, if there are any, issue, any issues that might, uh, that might need to be treated. Yeah, some uh, some really practical uh, advice there, Richard. Uh, and and there, there's possibly a step there between you know identifying those warning signs and then getting an assessment and or treatment. And as a parent, you know having those conversations with your child can be tricky. They can be quite difficult. Uh, most there's no rule book. There's no uh, manual for me as a parent to you know what what conversation should I have at this time. So, you know if a parent suspects their child is using drugs. You know, is there a right way to approach a child or uh, perhaps you can share one or two ways a parents could approach their child successfully? Yeah, I, th I think the first thing you want to do is, if you're concerned, is have a discussion with your child. And, and by that, I mean, don't lecture, don't threaten, don't, don't, don't punish, don't assume things. You want to come at the discussion with an inquiring point of view. In other words, express your concern. I'm seeing these things. I'm, 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 I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? Can you help me as a parent understand what I'm observing? Uh, can you share with me how you're feeling about such and such? So you invite the child to participate in a discussion about how you're feeling. Not how they're feeling, but how you're feeling. 
Uh, and you can develop a skill that focuses on hearing not just the words, but hearing the feelings. You know, we're pretty good at hearing each other's words. We're not so good sometimes at hearing the feelings underneath those words. And that's a skill that every parent can practice and every parent can learn so that when we're talking to our children, we're not just hearing their words, we're hearing their feelings and we're reflecting those feelings back to the child to confirm or deny that what we're assuming is true. So that's a kind of a discussion that I think can be very powerful, but, but it begins with, uh, with the focus on you as the parent. I'm thinking this, I'm observing this, I'm concerned about that. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing these things or feeling that way? So you invite the child into a discussion about how you feel, what your fears are, what you're observing, what you're thinking, and giving them a chance to reflect on, on whether what you're feeling and seeing is accurate or not. Yeah, that there's some um, really actionable tips in there that I'm sure many parents will be writing down um, should they be concerned. Um, and, and a real practical approach. I like that uh, that that inquiring pathway or that inquiring line of questioning. Uh, you, you're far more like. I mean, as a parent, our instinct, our instinct or our natural tendency is to you know criticise or you know to to lecture or to um, yeah. uh, you know just demand answers. You know, and, and we've got to really take a step back and and ask the right questions, as you say. Yeah, and and don't be too critical if it doesn't go right the first time. This is really a skill that takes time to develop, but but like any other skill, the more you practice it, the better you become with it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So uh, let's say during that conversation, then you know we 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 get somewhere, and then they may admit to something that they have perhaps taken, uh, even if they don't give us the true extent, even if they don't share the entire story with us in the first or you know subsequent instance. How can, as a parent, how, how would I approach getting support or, you know, you mentioned assessments or, you know, what, what sort of organization should I turn to? What's, what's the next step, I guess, as a parent uh, that I should be looking at? Well, I think in that conversation with the child, you want to try as best you can to see if the child will share with you what are the reasons that they're smoking marijuana? What are the reasons that they're that they're drinking alcohol? And I think the best way to approach that is simply ask the child, how does this help you? You know, how how are you? How is it helping you? You know, kids kids are like adults. You know, they're 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 not doing it because they're stupid. They're doing it because they're getting something out of it, uh, and they may or may not be willing to share that with you. But I would at least try to try to get from the child a better understanding and how does this how does this substance help you? You know, what are you getting out of it? In terms of assessments, I. I you know, I recommend a number of assessments in my book, including an addictions assessment, a neuropsychological assessment uh, to rule in or rule out any underlying issues the child might be confronting. Um, I, uh, places that you can start, I would, I would certainly have a discussion with the school counselor or the school's social worker. Um, to see uh, what they recommend. Sometimes the school social worker or the school psychologist uh, or the school counselor is able to do some of these preliminary tests for you. If not, they can recommend resources in the community that can do them for you. Um, so I would probably begin with having a, a discussion with a school counselor or social worker or school psychologist. Um, 
other resources include community-based organizations, mental health, substance abuse organizations. They often can provide resources. And I would also say that as a parent, make sure that you have a good support system because you go, you're going through this too. Your child is going through this struggle, but you as a parent are going through this struggle. It's a, it's a crisis for you as a parent. So it's very important that you take care of yourself and build a, build a support system around yourself because if your child is engaged in a substance and, 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 and is battling some, some substance issue or emotional issue, this is going to be a journey. And, and as a parent, you're going to need a good support system around you to help you get through this journey as well. Yeah, absolutely wise advice. And, and sometimes as parents, we forget about our own support network yeah. in an effort to support our kids. So well yes. said, um, well said, Richard. Um, a curious question from my point of view. You, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, some of the reasons kids may uh, head towards uh, some of these drugs. It may be a a mental health challenge or uh, anxiety um, mm -hmm. it could be a peer pressure thing you know is there a difference in the way that like let's you know let's say one's you know through that underlying anxiety one through peer pressure is there a difference in the way they're treated no they'd be treated the same I mean the issue is uh, to, to, to treat um, the substance use and the underlying reason why the child is using a substance which will be different for every child uh, and that's why getting a comprehensive assessment and a diagnosis and a treatment plan is so important because every treatment plan is different because every child in every situation is different. Um, but in terms of the actual treatment itself, um, no, there's not going to be a big difference in that. There might be a difference in how the child is treated. Some kids will do very well in outpatient treatment. Some will do very well in intensive outpatient treatment. And some who are really battling, you know, ex extensive substance use or extensive emotional issues, they may do very well in a residential program where they will be having treatment over a longer period of time. Yeah, yep. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions that, you know, as a parent, I should be asking you that perhaps I, sh I haven't asked already? I think you've covered the major ones. Um, I, I think, um, you know, sometimes I get a question, well, my child is a preteen, you know, they're 10 or 11 years old. Is, is this too early? And, and I say, no, it's never too early to be informed. Uh, education uh, is, is a powerful tool. Knowledge is a powerful tool. Um, you want to you want to be informed about substance abuse. You want to be informed about the warning signs as as soon as possible. So regardless of the age of your child, whether they're eight, nine, ten years old, or they're you know in their teen years, um, you you want to be uh, as best equipped and as knowledgeable as possible. Knowledge is power. The more you know, uh, the less fearful you are about this topic and the more confident you are that if you have to deal with it, you know what to do. You have a plan. If, if you have to deal with it, you now uh, feel better equipped and prepared to deal with it. Yeah, uh, wise words, Richard, wise words. And here's an interesting stat. You talked a little bit about preteens and, and those younger children. Right now in Australia specifically, and I'm sure the US is quite similar, approximately 4% of 12-year-olds have consumed alcohol in the last week. 
So if you you know um, if you've got a twelve year old daughter or son, you know that's that's a big number. Like four percent of twelve year olds, you know, having alcohol with you just in the last seven days, uh, you know, should again to, to your point prompt us to be prepared and not yeah. wait until this these things start to arise. And your book is a great place to start. I just want to mention your book um, uh, briefly. But for parents, you know, if you're concerned about your child or just want to be prepared, uh, Richard's book is called The Addicted Child. Uh, it helps parents understand how alcohol and drugs will influence or can influence their child's behavior. Uh, it offers resources to help parents find effective treatment options and explains which assessments are important for diagnosis. Uh, and I believe it's written in plain English, which is uh, proven to be a valuable resource for parents. Um, and that can be found on Amazon, uh, if, you, if any parents are listening are interested in that. Uh, a quick question, uh, maybe a more lighthearted question, just to round off our uh, podcast today. Uh, Richard, if you could go back uh, and give your 10-year-old self one piece of advice, what would that be for you? I guess my advice would be slow down, <laughs> slow down. Don't be in such a hurry to, to get through life because it's going to go fast enough as it is. So enjoy being a 10 year old. Enjoy uh, the teen years uh, because you only get to live them once in a lifetime. So don't be in such a rush to, uh, you know, to, to get through things. Uh, uh, sit back, relax and enjoy, enjoy yourself. Great words. And uh, for our listeners who want to get in touch or reach out or connect with you somehow, how can they do that? I would recommend you go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. When you get to the site, there's some interesting blog articles on how the pandemic changed drug abuse. There's interesting tips on on how to uh, work with your child's mental health, some questions you can use to check in with your child's mental health. Uh, There's a link to take you to Amazon where you can order the book. Uh, It's it's available as a Kindle or as a paperback. It's only about 100 pages, and I kept it uh, short because parents don't have time to read volumes of information on this. I wanted it to be a handy resource that a parent could quickly read, get the basic information, and keep as a handy resource. So there's a link that will take them to Amazon where they can get the book as either a Kindle or uh, a paperback. And there's also a link that if they want to send me a note, uh, they can uh, they can click on that link and uh, it'll come directly to me. Richard, thank you for your generosity today. Uh, You've got a a wildly important message that I know many parents listening today and into the future in this podcast will benefit from. Uh, I appreciate the work you're doing uh, both in your community and now through your book uh, throughout the world. Um, So again, thank you for your time and generosity today. Thank you, Jamie. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, discuss this important topic with me and, and, and reach out to parents about it as well. So thank you very much. You're welcome and bye for now. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show, please connect with Jamie on LinkedIn or Instagram. You'll find links in the podcast description. Parenting in the Digital Age is sponsored by Skill Samurai, coding and STEM academy for kids. Skill Samurai offers after-school coding classes and holiday programs to help kids thrive academically and socially while preparing them for the careers of the future. Visit skillsamurai.com.au.